This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome again to the road to Istanbul here on the Blood Red channel. I'm Guy Clark and of course after last time out speaking with Clive Tilsley and Liverpool beating Juventus 2-1 on a dramatic night at Anfield. The Reds got ready for an emotional trip to Turin to the Stadio degli Alpi to take on Juventus, a game in which the Reds would leave everything out on the pitch, coming away with a goalless draw, which was enough for the Redmen to book their place in a European Cup semi-final. I'm Guy Clark. Alongside me to look back on this game is... The Liverpool Echo's chief LFC writer, Ian Doyle. Doyle, how are you? I'm okay, yourself? Yeah, not bad. And, uh, well, crazy to think that this game was 15 years ago to the day. Of course, Liverpool weren't having a great league campaign, but this was going to turn out to be, well, a magical trip to Istanbul to the European Cup final. Yeah, I mean, even even at this point in the, in the Champions League, I still think there was people who, um, when they went into this game, I think there was a lot of people who thought, you know, it's been a good run, but they're probably not favourites to go through, and yet we, we all know what happened. Yeah, because, I mean, even looking back to that first leg against Juventus at Anfield, I said last time out with Dan Kay, who has been a regular on the, the series all the way through, saying that for us to really, this was, or that game was the moment at Anfield, for, for me personally, it was when Luis Garcia scored to put Liverpool 2-0 up. It was the moment I vividly remember it, thinking, actually, Liverpool could do damage in this tournament. Of course, reached the League Cup final in this season, of course, had gone out in the FA Cup, but it really was turning into a brilliant cup team that Liverpool had, albeit they weren't filled with brilliant individuals, although that's probably unfair to say to, to some of them. Yeah, no, I think that's that's fair enough. It was a mixture of very good individuals and some players who, certainly under other managers, you know, you've got to bear in mind Rafael Benitez was in charge at this point. He he brought quite a few people in and he turned a few people around as well who'd been there already. I mean, I'm sure we'll speak about them a bit later on, but Igor Biscan's one that springs to mind. Um, he had a very strange Liverpool career, but he ended up playing a massive part in this uh, Champions League run. I mean, I must admit that what was similar throughout this entire run, even including the final itself, is that at almost every point after the first leg or in the final after the first half, you kind of thought, oh, Liverpool have done quite well there, but they're probably not going to go through. You look at the, the Leverkusen game in the, the previous round where they conceded that away goal very early, uh, very late on, sorry, having gone 3-0 up. Uh, the Juventus game in the first leg where they were 2-0 up, made it 2-1. Even you, know, you go to the group stage as well where... They put themselves in an okay position and then ended up going one 0 down to Olympiacos in the in the deciding group game and, and the semi final as well. Were you know nil nil against Chelsea away is normally a good result, but you went away. Went Liverpool have done okay, but you know if Chelsea score, that's probably it. So this game was another one of those where they kind of defied expectations, confounded the critics by going all you know all the way to Turin and and getting a goal of straw against a team who. You know, bear in mind that it was two years earlier they'd got to the the final and, and lost to AC Milan, and you know quite a few of their players that either were about to win the World Cup the following year, the Italian internationals, or the likes of you know Lillian Taram had, had won it a few years earlier. So, you know, Juventus were one of the best teams in the world at that point, and for Liverpool to go there and get the result that they needed was with the team that they had out, which again I'm sure we'll get onto in a minute. It was 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 pretty extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, 
I think we'll focus on the Juventus names to begin with. It was yeah. something, obviously, in the, in the first leg day, you had a very strong side as well. But as you say, the amount of Italian internationals, Buffon and Goal, Taram, Cannavaro, Zambrotta at the back with Montero as well, a, uh, a very dominating defender in his time as well. But even that midfield and attack, the likes of Pavel Nedved, who obviously neither had reached a World Cup final nor was going to reach one with Italy, obviously Czech Republic international, but he was probably at this time one of the standout individuals in European football and had been for some time. Yeah, and then you've got to bear in mind there's our mate Zlatan Ibrahimovic up front as well, which he personally had a bit of a nightmare in that second leg. Um, it was when he was going through that. But to be fair, he's always been dogged with that that thing where whenever he played against English teams, he didn't seem to to quite cut it and a lot of English people could include me included he couldn't quite grasp why he was actually regarded as that good a footballer but he, ch- he changed that somewhat when he ended up at Manchester United so and his four goals against England in that in that friendly for Sweden but you're right that underlined the the quality that Juventus had through the team and you know you mentioned then the likes of you know Buffon in goal you know the best goalkeeper in the world at the time you know Cannavaro he, he would be, he'd be captaining Italy to the World Cup in about 15 months after this game we mentioned Taran, we'd already won it. We didn't even mention Del Piero, who, uh, you know, another another great player. So, you know, Liverpool were up against it. And obviously with all the the, the emotion around this game, which was the first time back in uh, Turin since Heisel. Yeah, as you say, it wasn't a game, obviously you were, you were covering Liverpool at the time, but it wasn't a game you were at yourself. But I imagine the whole build-up to the game, it, it would have been very strange. Well, it was interesting the fact that you're right. I wasn't at the game. I was in the office on that evening, actually. And unusually for a European game, uh, at the time the Daily Post, uh, Liverpool Daily Post was still going, they and the Echo both sent news reporters out there because they knew, you know, this was as much a news story as it was a sports story. I mean, fortunately, memory serves, there wasn't, there was no real incidents of notes. Maybe one or two things happened, but. Nothing major, and I think everyone was was relieved in that respect that the game went off without anything major happening, regardless of what happened on the pitch. Yeah, well, we we've spoken there about the the Juve side onto the Liverpool one, and from the first leg there were a few changes, three notable ones to go through. In goal, Jersey Dudek was back. Scott Carson had played just his third game for Liverpool in that that first game, and then you've also got the likes of Steven Gerrard who had missed out, but Xabi Alonso returning. And Anthony Letalic, who'd started the first game, was also out. And Antonio Nunez had uh, come in for him. But going out to Turin without Steven Gerrard, this really being the year in which he began to really carry that mantle as Liverpool captain. He'd done so much already in the run, of course, against Olympiacos. It did seem as though the cards were stacked against the Reds. Yeah, I mean, if memory serves, he, Gerard missed out because he had a he had to go to an emergency dental appointment. I think it was something to do with his wisdom teeth, and it was very last minute, not long off when they were about to fly out to Turin. So he missed out because of that. There was you mentioned Alonso being back. This this was his first game, his first start since he'd broken his ankle. I think it was Frank Lampard, wasn't it, on New Year's Day? He'd done it all round about then, uh, and. Another person who was making his comeback on the bench was Jibril Cisse, who'd been out for six months with a broken leg, which he suffered at uh, a Blackburn. So I don't think either of those two were expected to feature as such. I think Alonso was obviously pushed into it because of what happened with Gerard and uh, Cisse 
he ended up uh, coming on for the last 15 minutes. I mean, we mentioned then, as you say, the Juventus team, the Liverpool team. Not only did they have Antonio Nunes in, we mentioned Biscal. Milan Barros was up front, and he had Jimmy Traore at, uh, at left. In fact, I'm just trying to look at the team here. Jimmy Traore at left back, and it must have, yeah, Finnan at right back, uh, Carragher and Hippier in centre mid. Risa was, that's when he was playing on the, the left of midfield. You mentioned Alonso, Nunes on the right, Garcia, and Bisco in the middle, and Barros up front. So you compare the two teams, also you compare the strength and depth on the bench. The talent was on the bench for Liverpool, you know, Vladimir Smyser, uh, Carson, Stephen Warnock, and uh, there's also CSA, John Welsh and Darren Potter. So there wasn't quite the same you know, strength in, in depth that, uh, as Juventus had, but you know, they managed to still see the job through. Yeah, absolutely remarkable. And just wondered... You yourself being sort of in and around going and covering the side at, at this time, especially these European games, you mentioned sort of, we spoke with Stephen Warnock earlier on uh, during this campaign. Scott Carson, of course, had come in in the January, but the likes of Darren Potter and John Welsh, the, this wasn't just sort of a, a one-off appearance on the bench for them in this tournament. They'd featured at, against Leverkusen, I think, and even in the group stage, the two of them had, had been on and off the bench in certain games just shows the remarkable job in which Rafa was able to do in cultivating this team together to really play up for the big occasions. True. I think by this point, though, I think if you're looking at, obviously, April, you're getting towards the end of the Premier League season. The League Cup, you mentioned, that's out of the way. They were at the FA Cup, obviously, with uh, the Burnley defeat away from home. We all remember that. Um, So I think there was a sense that they were perhaps prioritising the Champions League as opposed to the Premier League. So there were games either side of this or games around that didn't quite, you know, they didn't put the full full team out. I mean, I think they, they got beat by Manchester City away from home in between the two legs against Juventus. And uh, and after this game, they, they drew with Tottenham at home. So it was a Liverpool team that was, you know, in transition. But you mentioned about the job that Rafa did there. Yeah, he managed to be a team in transition to transform them while also winning the Champions League, which... It's a bit of a, remar- a bit of a remarkable feat, to, to say the least. No, and just about put a bit of expectation on what he could deliver. And of course, in 2009, went so close to delivering a Premier League title. But it is interesting, just like looking through this squad, as you say, in the way in which the Champions League was back then, there'd only actually been eight days between the first leg and then this second game out in Turin, something we don't really see with the, the Champions League now really stretched out. But this was a time where really... You'd love the games to be back-to-back. Of course, that City away game in the league was between them, but they did really have those double-header sort of feels about them, games like these. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think they, they still do now at the quarter-final and semi-final stage. It's weird that the, the Champions League, they tend to stretch it out in the uh, the the first knockout stage, you know, split it up over four weeks with a week, week in the middle so the Europa League can play all of their games as well in the same time. So, you know, even even now you look at... When they played, I think it's Manchester City um, a couple of years ago. That was a quick turnaround. You know, these games do come thick and fast at this stage of the season. So I think they played. They would have played an awful lot of games by now. So uh, the, the team that, that played would have, you know, known each other and played alongside each other. Whether that actual starting eleven would have played together before, I don't know because Gerard was obviously so, so such a presence during that entire campaign. So, but it, it, it was interesting in the sense that you had. This was going to be a game where Liverpool were going to have to defend, and you know they knew a clean sheet would see them through with Milan Barros up front, and you, know, you could argue 
Nunes and to a lesser extent, sorry, Garcia and to a lesser extent, Nunes offering some attacking threat. This is primarily going to be a defensive effort, and that's something that did happen. Um, I mean, in the game itself, Juventus didn't really have that many chances. Ibrahimovic missed one, and even then, it wasn't like a brilliant chance. And of course, in, in the opposing dugout was uh, a bloke called Fabio Capello, so he would have known a bit how to negotiate these kind of games and he'd have no doubt been in the situation that Benitez was in that evening and you know knowing that a goalless draw would have been enough so it, w- it was a, a great feat for Liverpool to you know do a kind of an Italian job on Italian soil the blood red podcast from the Liverpool Echo crucial to that were Sammy Hippier and Jamie Carragher and Hippier at this time in the league side been replaced by Maurizio Pellegrino who arrived and would go on to form part of Rafa's backroom staff in years to come. But Hippier would sort of get wheeled out for these European games. He'd scored, obviously, the opener in the tie in the first game at Anfield. But it was also one of sort of the first real seasons for Jamie Carragher, predominantly fully playing in that centre-half position. He'd done it the the season before under Julio. But this, for me, I, I seem to remember watching the game, really feeling up against the likes of... Uh, Ibrahimovic and Del Piero. English football was blessed with centre-halves at the time, the likes of John Terry, Sol Campbell, Rio Ferdinand. It was sort of, for me, the evening that Carragher really entered that group of elite centre-halves in just showing how to go out in a defensive first performance, as you were saying before. Yeah, going back to what you said about Hippie, I think Pellegrino had been brought in simply to help Hippie rotate out of the team for, for games like this. I think that was a bit of a, a short-term long-term answer, if that makes any sense. So Hippier was was being preserved for the, the better games. Of course, he was the captain this evening with no Gerard being there. Um, Carragher mentioned Benitez has made the decision at the end of the summer when he came in to, to make turn him into a full-time centre-back alongside Hippier. I know Stefan Honcho wasn't too happy about that at the time, and he, he didn't feature very much in that, in that season. So I, you're right. I think this was one of those di- games where Carragher did you know, not so much come of age because he'd been around for a while, but certainly, uh, you know, he showed he could cut it at centre-back as well as at any other position. I think it was probably this game around this time that he, as you mentioned, it wasn't so much to everybody else, but to himself that he proved that he could do it in that position at this level because he ended up like staying there for another eight years. And people forget that he started out as a defensive midfielder, played, right back and left back under under Gerard Houllier. And as I say, it was when Benitez came in, he went, right, you're a centre-back, you're staying there. And he didn't play anywhere else other than that after this. So that's where Liverpool knew they you know, they had somebody who could play in that position at this level. And we saw what happened ultimately in the final and in many big games to come after that. Yeah, it really sort of seemed to be a thing that he, he just relished and, and loved those big occasions. And as you say, having, having sort of been... Messed or not messed around, that's probably harsh to say, but moved around then from left back and right back and centre half. He didn't really know if he, if he was coming or going, or I suppose even under Rafa Benitez, if he was going to sort of stick it out for the long term. Because as you were saying before, it was a season really of transition for Liverpool whilst going to win the European Cup. And I suppose it's one of those nights where Carragher can just turn around to Rafa and say, Look, I'm a man that you can depend upon, and obviously in the end, built his defence around him. Yeah, I think under Jared Julia, I think I think Julia always said that Carragher was one of his first names on the team sheets, but you could he never actually could determine exactly where that would be for for more than one game at a time, to be honest. So, but yeah, playing him centre back. I mean, 
You had say Jimmy Traore was a centre back under Julier, and he very rarely played centre back if ever under Benitez. And he was playing left back in this particular game. We mentioned Risa; he was playing at left midfield, and I think people forget that while they think of Risa as a left back, even in the Champions League final itself, he was playing on the left of midfield. It was only a bit after that that he moved back because you know Benitez knew that what he had in defence, he could play all of those. You know, predominantly defensive players. I think Steve Finnan might argue that he was a, you know, he offered a bit more going forward on the right flank, and he was another dependable player under, you know, first Julia and then mainly under Benitez. So, you know, Liverpool, they knew they would have needed a massive defensive effort, and of course, it goes back again to the manager himself because he'd have relished, you know, the the tactical challenge of setting his team up to play this particular game. They'd have, they'd have been. He'd have been looking forward to pitting his wits against Capello. It was as much about him as the team as anything else, to be honest. And the fact that Liverpool got the results that they required, and you had, you know, I can't remember Nedved or Del Piero doing pretty much, very much in during the game. That was also, you know, testament to mentioned it before, Igor Beskan, who people forget he played such a big role on that road to Istanbul, although he didn't actually get a kick in the final itself. Um, so, you know, and Alonso, you know, putting in a performance like he did, having been thrown into the team at the last minute, having not played for three and a half months, that's again, I think that was another evening where Liverpool fans in particular, because Benitez would have known how good Alonso is. That's why he spent that much money to bring him over when he was, a, if not unknown in terms of European sense, he played for Spain in the European Championships that summer in 2004. But for most Premier League watchers, they wouldn't have really known who he was but to see him, you know, roll his sleeves up and get stuck in in a game like this, he always had a bit of edge to him, uh, Alonso. Everyone talks about his passing, but he knew how to mix it. And I think this was one of those games where he showed that. And it speaks volumes, I suppose, of that sort of defensive central quartet of, if, if you say sort of the two centre-halves and the two in front of them, Bishkan and uh, Alonso, of how much work they got through, that it's not really until obviously the final of the penalty saves and the save from Shoshenko that you really sort of have Jersey Dudek's moment sort of implanted in your mind. Because as you were saying, in this game, it wasn't really one of those where he was pulling off absolutely world-class saves. Of course, he was tested and he had to do his work, but it was that unit in front of him that did so much that, that did help him. But it was also... And the way in which the Champions League structured, Liverpool would know who they'd have in the next round. And you, mm-hmm. you say, obviously, Rafa would have enjoyed the, the tactical battle up against Fabio Capello the night before Chelsea had gone through against Bayern Munich, which had been a high-scoring double-leg, uh, two-legged tie between those two. And having lost the League Cup final, I'm sure, obviously to reach the semi-final, Rafa would have been desperate, but then to get to come up against Chelsea and maybe write that wrong, that would have been something that certainly would have motivated this side. Yeah, it would have done it. It certainly would have motivated Steven Gerrard, which why it must have hurt him even more to, to not be there for this game. It, it's, it's interesting that people forget that, that everyone talks about you know the importance of Gerrard on this run, and, and, and rightly so too with his goal against Olympiacos and his performance in the final. But these were the games that got Liverpool ultimately in the position where they could win it. And... It wasn't just about him all the way through this run. It wasn't about him. And this is the ultimate example of that. It was a team that, when you look at it now, you think, you know, how on earth did that could that team have possibly done it, let alone the team who played in the final? And I think it's it's, it's an interesting one because if you ask Liverpool fans, you know, name the team that won the 2005 Champions League, they might name a starting lineup that perhaps hardly ever played together. And 
this is because even the team that, that that finished that game was different. You know, her man came on at half time. You know, things like that. And Finland, Finland didn't play the second half. So it, it is interesting that people sometimes forget that to get to them, and it's not just Liverpool. It's, it's every team that when they play in these, these lengthy competitions, and they you're never ever relying on the same group of players. And this is probably. You could argue it's probably Liverpool's best result in terms of what they had available and who they were up against and what they needed to do in the entire run all the way through to the final. Yeah, I think just looking through it, actually, Gerard, I think in the end, missed as many as five of the, the 13 games, which, as you say, is remarkable, given you think so much about what he did against Olympiacos and, of course, in the final itself, that it was a team effort to through every step of the road to Istanbul. It was, a, it was a complete team effort to get there. You had the youngsters that we mentioned before, whether it be making up the bench or the likes of Stephen Warnock actually featuring a bit more often in the game. Scott Carson coming in for one game against Juventus. It really did sort of have everything that Liverpool needed in terms of a whole squad effort to get to the final itself. Well, yeah, you look at the Olympiacos game. And, okay, Gerard scored the third one, but who scored the other two goals? It was Neil Meller and Florence Sinema Pongol. So, you know, they, that they made a contribution. That's why by the end, it, it felt as though, as you say, almost everybody in the squad had done something positive in 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 getting Liverpool to where they needed to be. You know, Nunes played in this game. This game played in quite a few games, to be honest. Um, Barros, we've mentioned. Garcia scored the goal against Juventus in the first leg. You know, Anthony Italic, you said, he, he played up front in that game, which uh, people just people forget he actually was the lone striker in that game. Um, and through all the defenders, it, it used three different goalkeepers, as you say, Kirkland, Carson and Dudek. So, you know, Benitez was learning more about his players along the way. And it, it's interesting that within about a year, you look at it and go, Truri wasn't in the team anymore. Garcia... Well, still in the team, but he was starting to pick up injuries. Nunes wasn't there. Biscan had gone and Barras had gone. So, and, and even and obviously Dudek wasn't playing either because Reina was in goal. So it, Benitez knew this wasn't the team that he wanted it to be, but it was a good example of a team that a squad of players who had predominantly been together for a while probably thought this might be our only chance for some of them, thinking this might be our only chance to do something here at this club, which ended up proving to be. And for Benitez, as we've said, it was a, an opportunity for him to test his, his wits against various top managers with a team that I would have liked to have seen if it had been the other way around. And Mourinho had this team, for example, against a, a Benitez-Chelsea team that the players he had, or what, he, what would have happened? And he had to hold his nerve as well, obviously, Benitez, because just looking at the, the league table before the Juventus tie the, the first game even at Anfield. And Liverpool at that time, with seven league games to go, were one point behind Everton. Of course, they'd beaten them recently in a Merseyside derby at Anfield. But looking at that then, the last seven games of the league campaign, remarkably, Liverpool only actually won two of them, away at Portsmouth and at home to Aston Villa on the final day of the season. And as you say, after winning against Juventus at home, that being the moment that actually... Liverpool basically went all in on winning this Champions League game because after that first leg, of course, they only needed to actually win one more game in Europe, drew away at Juventus, drew away at Chelsea, beat Chelsea with the Garcia goal, and then, of course, won on penalties in the final. Yes, so they actually only won three more games. Yeah. It's a tough way of looking at it, yeah. But they, uh, they, they picked and chose the moments, didn't they? So they, they, they got the results that they needed in the games that they needed. I think with the... It was, they were obviously challenges, you say, Everton for the that fourth place. And 
just off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure Everton's end of season record wasn't particularly great either. So they were kind of both stumbling towards the line, and it was only with you know one game left to go. Liverpool got beat three uh, one at Arsenal, and then that 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 settled it for uh, in, in terms of Everton finishing fourth. But you have to bear in mind that Liverpool by that point had reached the Champions League final, and I think they did. You know, as you mentioned a few weeks before, then they'd gone all in in the Champions League, and the the league games were used for, you know, they weren't certainly weren't giving them up, but they, they were going to rotate some of the older players like Hippier or some of the more injury-prone players and some and give them minutes to some players who probably needed the minutes because, you know, the Aston Villa game, uh, Harry Kiel played, and of course he ended up starting the final. And what a far cry it is then from the Liverpool we see today. European champions, of course, uh, this side would become the, the side of 2019, of course, European champions as well, but in somewhat of a, a different manner and certainly having that, I suppose, that favourites tag that Liverpool so rarely had on the road to Istanbul. Yeah, I think obviously the difference between 2019 is the fact that Liverpool got to the final the year before and they did they, show great progress over the previous three or four years under Jurgen Klopp. So it wasn't so much a surprise to find them in the final, given the fact they were there the year before when Liverpool... They'd been only been in the you know when the Champions League was called the Champions League. They'd been in it for the first time in two thousand and one, two. Got to the quarterfinals and lost to Bayer Leverkusen from a position in the second leg where they just needed to hold on to win. Uh, and then the following year, they got bombed out in the the group stage by uh, drawing in Baal. You know they, they only needed to, to they needed to get a win. They were three 0 down very very early on. Got it back to three all and then couldn't quite get the the last goal. So they'd had mixed. Uh, experience in the Champions League, but it was only 2001 that they they won the UEFA Cup. And you look at the likes of Hippier and Carragher; they were involved in that team. Gerard as well. So there were there were players who had a who had good European experience, and that ended up holding them in good stead. But I don't think anybody expected Liverpool to be getting to a Champions League final in 2004 or five, let alone win it. No, what a shock it would prove to be, but. Liverpool getting the job done in Turin then through to the last four of the Champions League where, of course, they would face Jose Mourinho's Chelsea. Well, I've been Guy Clark alongside me, Ian Doyle, for this instalment on the road to Istanbul. And, of course, we'll be back in just a couple of weeks as we look ahead to that game with Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Until next time, though, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.